Welcome everyone to episode seven in our 10 episode series on the do's and don'ts of feeding kids. You are listening to Raising Healthy Eaters, the podcast, and I'm Bridget, your host and founder of Raising Healthy Eaters. Make sure to check out the previous episodes in the series if you've missed any of them, because I share a lot of tips for making mealtime a more pleasant experience for everyone. These tips also help kids of all ages become more comfortable eating a variety of foods. Today, I'll be talking in depth about another way we can encourage our kids to eat well. And it's one with a lot of moving parts, so to speak. There are many pieces you can choose from and work on changing in your home. This element of meals has a huge impact on the eating behaviors of our kids, no matter how old they are. It's often perceived differently by adults and kids, and it's highly predictive of quote-unquote healthy child nutrition, or an eating style with high nutrition quality, meaning lots of foods that are rich in health-promoting compounds. Now, this is a longer one than normal, so I went ahead and split it into two parts, and this is part one. Part two will be released next Wednesday, so make sure you come back and download that one so you can get the rest of the story here. I want to start by asking you to think back to a time you were having a meal with your family that was really enjoyable. And this could be a meal that you have had with you and your kids, or it could be one that you had as a child with your adult relatives or your parents. And this would be one that made a very favorable impression on you. You liked the company, you liked the social interaction, you felt relaxed, maybe even happy, and eating the food was easy. The reason this experience was so memorable is because it epitomized a positive mealtime environment. And that is exactly what I'll be talking about today. I'm going to explain exactly what the mealtime environment is along with the characteristics of a healthy one. And then, of course, we'll talk about how it benefits your child's health. So when I say mealtime environment, what exactly am I talking about? It is the physical space where meals are eaten combined with the sights, sounds, smells, emotional climate, thoughts that people are having or that you are having, interactions, the feeding practices, role modeling, and the expectations. All of this wrapped up into one big ball. And it can be positive or negative, peaceful or stressful, or conducive to eating or adverse to the eating experience. And we know from lots of research on this topic that chaotic or unpleasant mealtime environments are linked to overeating, increased activity, which is a nice way of saying negative behaviors, and more distraction among kids during meals. So then what is a healthy mealtime environment and how can it be cultivated? A healthy or positive or pleasant mealtime environment or atmosphere, you might hear me use any and all of those words interchangeably, is one that is relaxed, supportive, and engaging. And we can break it down into several elements, each of which I just mentioned in the definition, and many of which I've discussed already in previous episodes of this series. But the one I want to start with is 
the physical environment, because this has a major impact on really anybody's experience during a mealtime. And I want to talk about each of the elements of the physical environment that can be designed or, you know, manipulated to support an enjoyable eating experience for your child, which usually translates to an enjoyable eating experience for us as well. And the first thing is that there should be a designated area to eat with enough space for everyone who will be joining the meal. Kids need to know where that meal is going to happen and, you know, having that space so that people aren't crammed together can really facilitate a comfort level needed in order for a child to eat well. Seating plays a role too because the seating needs to be appropriate for your child's age and or their developmental abilities. For instance, using supportive seating for babies and toddlers like a high chair or a booster that allows their food to be at about belly level so they can see their food, they can reach their food with ease. They're not trying to reach up and over, you know, a table ledge or a high chair tray. This also helps keep them in an upright position that protects their airway to prevent choking, which is especially important for the little guys. Their feet need to be supported because if they start to choke or if food goes down the wrong way, what babies and toddlers will do is they'll push their feet against something to create leverage for a cough that will dislodge or release anything that went down the wrong way. If their feet are dangling, they can't bear down to cough and they have a higher risk of choking. So these are things as far as seating that you want to check that your younger child has good supportive seating and their feet are supported as well. Another aspect of the physical environment is the type of utensils used. And this, again, is particularly important for babies and toddlers who are learning how to self-feed. And this could be very important as well for any kiddos with developmental disabilities who might need modifications for self-feeding. So in the case of Babies from about six months to a year or so who are in that phase of being introduced to solids and transitioning to more advanced consistencies and textures, they need short utensils with thick handles because these are easiest to hold and manipulate, to move around. I have a story to share about my son, who is the youngest of my troop, and he's three. When he was younger uh, and he was learning how to self-feed, we started him off playing with a spoon, and what we had at the time were these plastic spoons made for babies and toddlers, but they were long and thin. And when he started trying to feed himself with them, sometimes he had a difficult time scooping up the food because the spoon was so long. It was just harder for him to kind of guide and direct. He'd sometimes get his hand a little further down the handle, so it was closer to the spoon part, and then he could scoop better. But the other problem was when he had to turn that thing to direct it into his mouth, that was quite problematic because the spoon was just too long. Now, as far as the spoon part itself, the scooping part of the spoon for younger babies, I'm talking about the babies who are maybe within their first year, try to use a soft silicone spoon. And then when they become toddlers, after they're a year old, you can transition to short stainless steel spoons so they can get used to the feel of a regular spoon. Then we have plate size. 
for our little guys, we want to use small plates. And you want to maybe consider bowls and plates that suction to the table or tray for those who are learning to self-feed or kiddos who can self-feed but maybe having some difficulty because of a disability. It's a lot easier for them if the bowl or the plate isn't moving around every time they stick their spoon in there. Other aspects of the physical environment that we want to consider are temperature, lighting, smells, and even sounds during mealtime, particularly if your child is a fussy eater, because they could be reacting to one of these elements that's just off. And I've seen this play out a few times with kiddos of families I've worked with and with my own children. If the environment is too hot or too cold, or there are strained or strong smells, our kids won't be comfortable enough to stay at the table and eat. And I really think this is something that all of us can relate to because these factors impact adults as well. I'm sure you can think of a time that you hadn't put on the heater yet, it's winter and you're freezing and you're just a little bit too uncomfortable to think about eating. Also look at things like, is there light shining in your child's face? You know, what does the lighting look like, whether it be from the lighting in your home or sunshine coming through windows? Because if they have some sort of light shining in their face, that might be the reason they don't want to eat. A few years ago, when we moved into our house, my daughter would just squirm and whine at breakfast and then she'd just leave the table and be so frustrated after a few minutes. And this was happening in the mornings. So we realized that she was getting a pretty intense ray of sunshine right in her face at that spot where she was sitting. And it happened when the sun was rising in the mornings. So what we did was just moved her to a different spot and then there were no more problems, no more fussiness, no more whining. You know, she would sit there and eat her meal and everything was good. As for sound, there have been a lot of studies showing that people eat less when the environment is loud, whether that noise is from traffic sounds or conversation or music. If the sound is unpleasant or intrusive, how much we eat declines. And again, this is true not only for children, but also for adults. However, a low level of relaxing music in the background can actually improve intake at meals. And so one thing you might consider for setting a nice mealtime environment is just putting on some nice music. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a classical music or spa music. It could be music that you enjoy listening to as a family. The key would be to kind of keep it down at a lower level so that it doesn't then become a distraction. The last element of the physical environment that I want to mention is distraction. How much our kids eat and how long they will stay at the table often depends on how many distractions are present. And I will be doing a deep dive on this topic very soon, so I'm just going to leave it at that for now. Let's move on and talk about the structure of mealtimes. So we got through physical environment. Now we're going to look at structure of mealtimes. And this is created in seven ways that I am going to share with you. So the first is having routine meals and snacks uh, or a schedule, basically. 
And this sets that predictable structure that assures kids they have frequent opportunities to eat. And that predictability of it really has a comforting influence on a child and can set the tone for how they show up at the meal. Second are the pre-meal activities. And these are things like washing hands and setting the table and Again, involving the kids in that process of setting the table and preparing for eating the meal. You can think of these as transition activities that tell your kids it's time to eat and it helps them prepare for eating and focus on eating and tune into their level of hunger so they they can detach from whatever they were doing before and get themselves set up mentally to think about food and eating. Family meals are the third component of mealtime structure, and this is something I will get into later, but for now I'll share that it's important for several family members, if not all of them, to be present during meals. I think this might be a good place to stop for today because I realize that many of you may not have time to listen to a longer episode. Of course, let me know if I'm wrong. I don't want to assume I know everything about what you guys need. Next Wednesday, you will be able to download part two of setting a positive mealtime environment. And I will finish talking about the components of mealtime environment, along with the benefits to your kids, and then where you can get started in changing the mealtime environment in your home. If you have questions about this topic or any of the others in this series, message me on Instagram or Facebook and I will get back to you with an answer. I would love to hear your questions and your feedback. You can also send me any requests for something you would like me to talk about in a future episode. And I've included the links to our social pages in the show notes along with the references used to develop today's episode. I want to thank you all again for listening and supporting this podcast. I really am grateful to have you here with me on this podcasting journey. It's going to get better as we go and as we grow. Please reach out. Let me know what you think. Let me know what your ideas are. Until next time, I hope you enjoy a meal with your kids.